Merry Christmas, Hayden Bible Church. Those are some big words that we just sang. Did you notice that? Will there really be a time when the entire world and God's people sing to his glory? Every, every corner of the earth? You believe that? You must if you're in Christ. The, the angels whose song we just quoted from Luke 2 verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. This is uh, the, the, the first crescendo of human history, isn't it? The coming of Christ. Why do I say the first? Because he's coming again. And just imagine being among those lowly shepherds as they heard heaven's warriors, joyful and loud, breaking into the nighttime silence around Bethlehem. Joy, majesty, heavenly light bursting into the darkness. This is Christmas, right? God has come into his world in Christ to redeem his people. And he's keeping his promise to reclaim his world for his glory. He's come into humanity as God in the person of Jesus to bring people like us captive to sin out of our bondage. Has that happened to you? To, to bring us enduring peace with God? Are you, are you at peace with God? To give to us one day peace with other people, other image bearers of God, so that one day every corner of the earth will be purged of sin and all will thrill at his majesty and live to his glory. You say, well, that sounds pretty big. Well, that's Christmas. And as it turns out, Christmas is pretty big, isn't it? Christmas is the Bible's big story. From Genesis to Revelation, uh, we're, we're calling this short Advent series this year the covenants of Christmas because the redemption that those angels sang about is pictured progressively in every covenant God has made with his people. And if you're already nervous wondering, are we going to look at all of those covenants? Let me just say no. So, so stand down, right? Um, but we can start in Genesis as we did last week and, and progress through the Bible and see our Creator's unfolding plan to rescue sinners, redeem His world from sin's curse. And I, as, we, as we work our way through um, what I'm going to refer to as sort of a gallery of redemption in Scripture in the Old Testament, I, I, I want to just have you ask yourself, are you part of this great rescue of God's in Christ? Does, does your conscience... Right now, testify, affirm that, that this rescue in Christ is your rescue. Remember, if you were here last week, that Genesis told, tells us of Adam's sin, and in particular, how Adam's sin becomes our sin, your sin, my sin. We understand that Adam is a, is a representative of humanity, and He's, he's the federal head of, of, of humanity, if you will. And re remember that little phrase that, that 
elementary school kids used to recite when they practiced their reading. In Adam's fall, we sinned all. Every one of us is born into this atmosphere of alienation from God. We don't start in neutral and then at some point make a decision for God. We're born in desperate need of rescue from God's wrath towards sin. In fact, our plight could not be more dire. But in the same breath that God pronounced sin's curse... Uh, He also promised redemption through a coming second Adam, didn't he? God said to Satan of this this second Adam, Genesis 3, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That's that's the, the cosmic battle, if you will, that's been raging ever since the fall. We just sang about it. With the woes of sin and strife, the world has suffered long. That's our story, isn't it? Always has been this, this bruising by the enemy of souls. And yet God's promise is that in the seed of the woman, a descendant of Eve, sin's curse will be undone. For God's people. So this promise made in Genesis, and by the way, that was all review. It doesn't count against my time. Um, Is now a promise that is pictured all throughout the covenants that God makes with his people. Look, for example, in Genesis 6. Just turn your Bibles a few pages to Genesis 6, verses 5 through 8. In the example of Noah. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But, circle that word but in your friend's Bible. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Better yet, circle the word grace, because we'll keep coming back to it. For now, if you need any evidence of the deep reach of sin's curse, just think of it this way. Mankind, saddled with Adam's sin nature, got the ultimate do-over when Adam and Eve were evicted from the temple that was the Garden of Eden. Think of this. Our ancestors got a fresh start, a clean slate, and yet they and their progeny continued to sin. How many fresh starts has God given you, do you suppose? I mean, how many times has it at least occurred to you Whether you gave voice to it toward the Lord or not, I'm not doing that again. I'm not going to be that guy another time. I'm not going to think that thought anymore, those thoughts. And yet your own conscience testifies against your continuance in sin, doesn't it? Every fresh start followed by a fall. So Merry Christmas, right? No, 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 no. 
the, the joy of Christmas is that the Lord is bringing an end to this. These opening chapters of our Bible in Genesis show us our family tree after the fall. What's your family tree like? Well, in Scripture it says your family tree is comprised of a murderer, a liar, uh, there's infidelity, uh, vengeful hearts, a refusal to glorify God as God. In other words, it's just like today, isn't it? So that by the time we get to Genesis 6 and Noah, the opening generations of human history are in such a condition that God says of his image bearers, every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And you might be thinking, well, um, I'm glad I'm not like that. That's not really true of me. Well, think of it this way. Do you, do you suppose that means that the only thing people could ever think of back then was pure evil? The only thing people could do back then was, was, was only pure evil? No, it simply means that no part of human experience was untouched by the curse of sin. Think of it this way. Every sin since Eden has been an inside job. There's no tempter now in these chapters, is there? Not visibly. And as it turns out, your sin is an inside job. And, and, and so is mine. It's no one else's fault. It's not your parents' fault. It's not the environment's fault. It's not the school system's fault. You and I know, need no outward promptings towards sin. Have you noticed this? Though we do suffer many outward promptings towards sin, temptations. So those of you who want to go back to the good old days, and you know who you are. I'm talking about the ribbon candy people, right? The good old days. Do you remember this one? And you knew who you were then. Girls were girls and men were men. Mister, we could use a man like Herbert Hoover again. Really? Didn't need no welfare states. Everybody pulled his weight. Remember that? That's for us older folks. How far back from our day do you suppose we need to go to find the truly good old days? Well, a, a lot farther back than Archie Bunker, right? Much farther back. And you say, well, wait a minute. I've read my Bible. In fact, Pastor, if you just read the next few verses, I don't know if you noticed this, but it's in my Bible. I've read that Noah was a just man, that, that he, he was perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God, and he obeyed God. So what, what do you do with that? Well, what, what kindled Noah's devotion and obedience to God? The scripture says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Devotion to God is always preceded and provoked by grace from God. We'll see it in every covenant we look at this morning. And we're not again, we're not going to look at all of the covenants, but we'll look at a few. This is the joy Christmas sings to us. Salvation is a gift received. <laughs> 
is not a reward merited. It's to do with what God has done for you. Have you received this gift? Well, it, it, it took decades to build that ark, didn't it? And all the while, Noah was mocked by everyone who saw uh, the, the vessel of God's rescue from his wrath taking shape. That's still happening today when God's people preach Christ. But one day, says Genesis seven sixteen, just turn to that in your Bibles, um, into the ark they went. Just eight people, Noah's family, uh, along with the animals two by two, you know how this goes, before a single drop of rain had fallen. Isn't that interesting? Those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The Lord shut him in. Listen, if, if, if man is to be rescued from God's judgment of sin, that he must receive grace from God. And when God initiates this rescue, the scripture says, God does the shutting in. You're safe. Are you shut in? Are, are, are you safe in that sense from God's wrath for sin? Do you have that sense as, as Peter says in his first epistle that, that you're kept by the power of God for salvation? What a wonderful truth this is. And the Lord shut him in. I'm asking you this because the first drops of God's final wrath have not yet fallen. But they will one day. And when they do, It'll be too late. You th th think of it this way. Do you suppose Noah's family heard the screams of the perishing? I wonder, church, this morning, do, do we hear the cries of the perishing around us? Now, we also know the Noahic covenant, don't we? Um, it's to do with a rainbow, uh, which has been how interesting, misappropriated in our culture. The earth's first rainbow appears as the covenant sign, right? God says, then the scripture says, then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. A couple things here to point out. Notice that the flood did not eradicate sin. That's not what the flood was about. No volume of water could scrub the sin from Noah's heart or the hearts of any of his family members. Remember, they were shut into the ark by grace. Do you suppose Ralphie ever said a wrong word again after his first taste of life, boy? You suppose that? Don't act like you haven't watched that movie already. You have. When the floodwaters receded, Noah and seven other sinners got out of the ark. 
And what did they start doing? They planted a vineyard. And Noah got drunk as soon as the first grapes were ripe, right? So the Noahic covenant is to do with preservation. Preservation. Why does that matter? God is preserving humanity until all of his covenant promises in Christ are fulfilled. How long will human history go? That long and no longer. God is preserving his world because a promised seed who has come in Christ is coming again. A promised eternal kingdom is coming. Worldwide redemption for God's people is dawning. However unlikely it seems, as we look at the darkness of the world around us today. Now, why do I mention this? Because some of you are thinking, how's, he gonna, how's this Christmas? Those of you who fear that the world will, will end soon, because man is going to destroy himself. You know, nuclear war, global warming, although it's quite cold lately, isn't it? Um, <laughs> catastrophic COVID, that sort of thing. Or horror of horrors, Amazon delivery stopping, you know. Um, <laughs> please know this. The world as it exists now will continue as it exists now until the last of God's covenant promises in Christ have been fulfilled. Just as in Noah's day, people taunt the people of, the people of God. You Christians keep saying your Jesus is coming again to judge the earth, but year after year go by, goes by and, the, and that doesn't happen. Yet. How silly you look, you guys. Listen, that taunt simply verifies God's promise here in Genesis. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night shall not cease. That means for you and I who are in Christ, every sunrise, every change of season ought to remind us of our promise-keeping God. Rather than having it lull us to sleep in complacency, Noah and his family, think of it this, didn't, didn't laze around griping about how sinful their world was. They got busy carrying out the work of God, the work God gave to them, no matter how incongruent that might have seemed day to day from the world's perspective. I don't wonder if that might preach to us just a little bit. Anyway, God's purpose in the flood was not to fix humanity, but to preserve humanity. And let, let, me just, let me just bring this around to you and to me. Is it possible then that God has preserved you? How many seasons have you watched go by? Winter turns to summer. Summer turns to fall. Year after year after year, and you hear of the mercy of God in his gospel, the grace of our creator in his Christ. Do you hear him? A couple of weekends ago, Pam and I went to uh, the Museum of Arts and Culture in Spokane. Have you heard of this place? 
And um, they've got a wonderful exhibit of Impressionist uh, art there. And it, it occurred to me, you know, as you, as you walk through this, this gallery, um, you, you understand more and more about the artists as you look at their paintings. You know, you begin in the early part of their career and then the, it just develops over time. And it occurred to me as we were doing this that the Bible itself is a bit like that. As you follow human history in Scripture, you notice a, a wonderful progression toward the fulfillment of God's promise in Christ. It becomes more and more clear as we see history progress, and in particular as we see these covenants of God. And in fact, God uses human history, does he not, as a canvas upon which he paints the story of his, of his love for his chosen people. So we leave Noah now, and we move deeper into the gallery of redemption, and we stop at Abraham. Turn to Genesis 12. Just look at a couple, three verses here. Genesis 12, 1. It says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, don't miss that. There's a repetition here. Grace from God initiates the Abrahamic covenant. Just as with Noah, Abram, Abraham, the next mediator, was a pagan. He, he worshipped the false gods of the Chaldeans until the one true God, Yahweh, stepped into his life. And God gives him a new name, Abraham, a covenant name, and declares now that through Abraham, this promised seed from Eve will come into the world. Never mind that Abraham and his wife Sarah could not have children. And they were asking themselves, can God bring a child from such a womb, a barren womb? Well, we know the answer to that. Of course he can. With God, all things are possible. So God keeps his promise. Isaac is born. Even though Abraham and Sarah are quite elderly, let alone barren, a miraculous birth. And just try to imagine how Abraham and Sarah would have delighted in Isaac, the son of promise. What do you suppose went through Abraham's mind then when God said to him one day, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. What kind of father does such a thing? Ever since the fall, God allowed his people to offer these animal sacrifices as a substitute for his sinful people. And the people themselves were spared by the shedding of blood. In fact, the scripture says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Would a father really sacrifice his own son? Well, just as Abraham lifts his knife to slay Isaac, God stops him. 
And you know this, the God of the covenant spares Isaac by providing a lamb to be sacrificed in Isaac's place. And God then expounds upon the Abrahamic covenant. He says, blessing, I will bless you, Abraham. Multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So so now it's from Abraham's tree. Abraham's family, his descendants, that the seed of Eve, singular, one person, the promised one, would come. The, the, the more you go through deeper into this gallery of grace, the more clearly you see God's promises in Christ. From Isaac, as you know, came Jacob or Israel. Um, and and as, you, as you walk through the gallery, you see that now it's through the, the nation of Israel, Abraham's descendants, that God's promise of redemption would come. Adam and Eve failed, didn't they? They, they, they failed to fill the earth with faithful image bearers. And now a nation, Israel, chosen by grace, will serve as, as, as the funnel of sorts through which this blessing of redemption is going to come. The only question is this. Will God's people Israel embrace their identity as God's people? In other words, would they be a people who truly love God? Or would they be a people who just went through the motions? Would they be a witness nation to the rest of the world? Or would they be an example to the rest of the world of what it looks like to be a poser? And you see, we, we know the answer to that, don't we, if we know our Bible history. The, the answer is, no, they were, they were not faithful in, in that sense. Israel did not fulfill its role as God's witness nation to the world. Not not even after God had rescued them from Pharaoh's Egypt and gave them his law. Think about this. The law that had been written on Adam's heart at creation now was written on stone tablets. Everybody's got it memorized. A blueprint for living as God's image bearers. And that old covenant law described obedience, described love toward God. But here's the thing. That old covenant did not energize obedience. It didn't motivate obedience. It simply described it. In fact, Israel broke the law even before Moses, the next covenant mediator, broke the stone tablets. You still listening? And it would be perfectly normal for good people like you to be thinking to yourselves, um, he mentioned something about Genesis through Revelation, and it seems like we're getting to the Exodus about now. Um, how long is this thing going to go on? Well, I want to just encourage you, don't, don't worry too much. You know, what I do at art galleries, and I don't know if my wife notices this or not, but... Uh, <laughs> She just said, I do. (laughs) I start slowly with her. 
but then I speed up a bit. There's a snack bar just, just through the tunnel there. So we're going to speed up. But let, let's just stop for a minute at um, the time of Israel's King David. It's starting to sound Christmassy, isn't it? And we see David chosen as Saul's successor, not by merit, but by God's grace. David, the next mediator of a covenant initiated by God, was a simple shepherd boy. He wasn't the one that a man would have chosen. He's the one God chose. And what was the Davidic covenant? God says to him, David, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. I think this promise is forever, don't you? How amazing is this? Since the dawn of time, humanity has longed for deliverance from sin's curse through this promised seed of Eve. And this seed is preserved through the ark of Noah. And this seed is pictured in the lamb God provided to Abraham. And this seed comes from Israel and yet supersedes Israel as God's covenant mediator. The seed who would come to prevail where the first Adam failed is now going to come from the ancestral line of Israel's king David. And, and again, the, the deeper you go into God's gallery of redemption, you realize that there's nothing that humanity can do to thwart these promises from God. I pray that this is encouragement to you this morning. When God says he's going to do something, he does it. What God says he will yet do in Christ, he will do. Nothing will prevent the fulfillment of God's promise to redeem his world and his people. We have every reason, Christian. To, the, to be the most joyful, hopeful, confident, assured people on planet earth. In fact, we're the only people who have cause to live with such hope, to live with such assurance. The Noahic covenant, the, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, all find their fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. It's all to do with Jesus so we understand what is meant when we got to Matthew 1.1. We've been studying Matthew until just recently, and, and we read the opening words of Matthew's gospel. It's the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. <laughs> we realize now that this Biblos Genesios, the, the, God's new genesis or new beginning for his world and his people, through David, through Abraham, is Jesus Christ. And Luke affirms this, but he adds some, some important truth for us. He says in his gospel, now Jesus himself, as was supposed the son of Joseph, Jesus, says Luke, traces his humanity all the way back to whom? 
Well, he's the son of David, who was the son of Abraham, who was the son of Noah. And, and that, then back further still, Luke says, back to the beginning, the son of Adam, the son of God. Why was Jesus only supposed to be the son of Joseph? Because he wasn't Joseph's kid. Jesus is heaven's eternal king. Jesus is God. Born into Mary's womb, though she was a virgin. Born of the spirit of God. Born into humanity from heaven. This Jesus is the man who is God come to save his people from their sins. He's the last Adam. There'll not be another. The perfect final mediator where Adam and all the others failed, Christ prevailed. Amen? When are you still listening? We're just about done. But when our kids were little... um, we used to go out into the forest around Coeur d'Alene, up around Fernand Saddle, if you know the area, and we cut our own Christmas trees, and it was a wonderful time. Um, often a better memory than experience, if you know what I'm saying, but it was a wonderful time. <laughs> and um, you know what I mean. And you, you parents know how this is. You, the, you, you have to go deeper and deeper out into the woods um, because at first, all you see are these little stumps that are about that big around, right? And you go, you, you go way into the woods to find the perfect tree. And, and it's always at the bottom of some gully full of snow, right? Um, where was I going with this? The, 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 the deeper you go into this gallery of redemption that is Scripture, you find the perfect tree. And it's not an ark. And it's not wood for a sacrifice. And it's not a manger. It's a wooden cross. It's it's Calvary, isn't it? Christmas is to do with Calvary. Where the father did what Abraham didn't do. The father sacrificed his own son to atone for the sins of his people. God's final mediator has done what none of the others could do. What all of the others simply pictured for us progressively throughout scripture. Those sacrifices prescribed in in such detail under Moses, for example, did not actually remove sin. They were pictures that pointed to the ultimate sacrifice, weren't they? the sacrifice of Jesus at Calvary. Until Jesus, the perfect sacrifice came as a baby. Jesus, our Jesus, born to die for his people. What what a wonderful gallery is God's gallery of redemption. It is no wonder these angels sang the way they did. Glory to God in the highest. This is what all of history has been moving toward. And all of history since then has been moving toward the return of the king. Are you ready for his return? Do do you hope in his coming again? 
Listen, Christ is the only ark of safety from God's wrath. Enter by grace through faith and be shut in by God. How wonderful is that? And be saved by God himself. Christ is the lamb provided. The, 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 the son of promise born to be sacrificed at Calvary for the sins of Adam's race. Your sins. My sins. And Christ is the faithful Israel, isn't he? Belong to him by faith and you belong to the Israel of God. And this new kingdom has come and will come one day in its fullness because a new covenant has been cut, if you will, with God's people, or I should say for God's people in Christ. Second Corinthians 1 says this, for all the promises of God in Christ are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God. The, the, the new covenant mediated by Christ is infinitely better than all of the others. Listen to God's own description of the new covenant. This is through the prophet Jeremiah. We could go to Ezekiel, but this is what God said through Jeremiah. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. This is the covenant that I will make. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Christian, those promises are yours because you belong to Christ. Just as the curse belonged to you in Adam, so the blessing of God's grace belongs to you who are in Christ. And don't miss that from the least to the greatest part. You know, I sometimes hear from people who, you know, they wonder, what, what if my faith isn't strong enough? That's a reasonable question, isn't it? Because I consider my own faith and then I look at somebody else who seems to have stronger faith and it, and it gets me thinking about that. Do you realize you're not saved by the strength of your faith? You're straight, saved by the strength of your Savior. For, from least to greatest, God says in the new covenant, the, the, the serpent's head is crushed just as God promised in Eden. We've been drawn by the loving kindness of God himself, energized to know and obey God, his law written on our hearts, forgiven, you glad to be forgiven? Sin remembered against you no more, ever? Shut safely into God's eternal kingdom. So much more, says the writer of Hebrews, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Praise God. There's your Merry Christmas, right? Right there in Hebrews 7. Let me just say this before we wrap up. That hymn we just sang, it came upon a midnight clear, which I like very much, by the way. Don't understand what, what follows. But did you notice anything unusual about that hymn? There's no Jesus in it. 
And, and, and it's wonderful that it's in our hymnals because we who sing it know who we mean when we speak of the king. So don't worry. But it was written by a universalist who, um, at least according to his hymn, missed Jesus. And I, and I find that interesting because I, I think the angels of Luke 2 would have said to Edmund Sears, hey, you, know, you left the best part out. That's a great hymn. Put Jesus in it. It's all to do with Jesus. God's goodwill toward men is all wrapped up in Christ. Are you all wrapped up in Christ? Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, Faith which receives Christ is as simple an act as when your child receives an apple from you. What the child's hand is to the apple, that your faith is to the perfect salvation of Christ. The child's hand does not make the apple, nor improve the apple, nor deserve the apple. It only takes it. I love that. How simple is this? Faith is the hand that takes God's gift of grace, salvation. If you've not already done so, friend, take it. Receive it. Bethlehem's angels couldn't help but sing loud and joyful with majesty because the gospel is God's redemption told throughout human history. We've just seen a little bit of that. All of history has been a canvas upon which God has painted progressively his love for his own, his promise to reclaim his world through the work of Christ for his, to his glory, amen? Or you could put it this way, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You've heard that before. Every single one of those covenants we looked at says that in some way. Will there really be a time when the entire world and its redeemed people sing the glories of God? Every corner of the globe? Absolutely. Come to Bethlehem and see Christ whose birth the angels sing. Come adore on bended knee Christ the Lord, the newborn King. All right, that's it. Let, let's pray. Lord, we're, we're so in awe of your grace. We're so in awe of your wisdom. We're so in awe of your mercy and compassion toward your people. People you've chosen before the foundation of the world. And Lord, you show us in your record of man's history how you've been moving, preserving. I pray, Lord, that if there are any among us today, and it occurs to them just now that they've been preserved for this day to take by faith this mighty Redeemer who is Jesus, our King. 
Lord, I pray that you would enable saving faith among us today. And Lord, I pray that you would move among us, your people, that we would move, be moved by the, 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 the voices of the perishing around us, Lord. Lord, let us not be cold and indifferent. Let us be those moved to speak of Jesus. Not everything but Jesus. Help us with that, we pray, Lord. And we, we pray this for your namesake, that, that your kingdom would grow among us. In Christ's name, amen.